we have a substantial gap within talent and it's coming up within this year and next year. Not only are we losing great leaders, but we're not recruiting the younger generation. And so from my lens and my perspective, again, we don't have a ton of time to cover this, but a broad stroke is I still think that we need to really focus in on, it is very, very challenging to break into just technology as a whole, even IT, cyber IT. Uh, the best advice that I can give anybody that's listening to this right now that is that is having those challenges that are facing them on a daily basis is first off, don't give up. I promise you, you will succeed. Uh, the second thing is you've got it or the private sector own a lot of our critical infrastructure, yet the public sector support that in a way, but there's a lot of uh, gray area within titles of how we can best support those critical infrastructures. And until those are defined, if there was a say a catastrophic attack on one of those infrastructures, what would that look like? Welcome to the Top Cyber Pro Podcast, the show where we bring experts in the cybersecurity industry to share their valuable knowledge, experience, tips, tools, techniques, and resources to help you become a Top Cyber Pro. And now, here's your host for this episode, Terry Thompson. Jax, welcome to the show. Oh my God, you have such quite a long list of accomplishments. I feel like I just done nothing throughout my entire 24 year career compared to you. But how do you ever find the time to do all of these? Things? How do you get these things done? Uh, time blocking. Time, <laughs> time blocking. blocking, two words. Yeah, no, it's really, I'm very much ADHD and it was not easy to learn how to like time prioritize, time block. And mm -hmm. for me, I had to learn the hard way in my younger years of doing too much and never getting one thing done. And now I have three things. And if they fall within those three parameters and they're all within cybersecurity, I will think about taking them on my plate. Otherwise I just focus on those three things. And those three things have subcategories. I'm very, like, I'm very meticulous and analyzed on how I get things done. Otherwise, as you know, we burn out. 100%. And I can relate to that. You know, for me, it's, it's not, I'm not all, 100% minimalistic, but I definitely filter a lot of things. How important is filtering? Because I truly believe if you have too much on your plate, everything's a priority, nothing's a priority. How do you prioritize what you filter? Filtering is critical. It goes back to, again, ADHD. So what I will do even on when, if I'm feeling very scatterbrained on a day, for example, I will take a task list, I will write it down and then I will number the task list one, two, three, four, five, however I want to do it. And then I will star the top three things that must get done that day. And then I will even break that down to the first, second, and third task that needs to be completed that day. It doesn't happen every day. I'm pretty organized and I do, I actually use my calendar for a lot of my tool keeping on that. But it, for me, it's got to be filtering. And I also set monthly. Uh, quarterly and yearly goals and I, even weekly goals and because I backwards plan everything in my life and I do it naturally. This isn't something where I sit down and every single day I'm like writing out all of my tasks, mm -hmm. but I used to do that. So now it's just very, very natural for me to be that way. So I'm very organized. Yeah. And it's a muscle. I mean, once you, yeah. once you develop the habit of doing it, you enjoy it. You look forward to it. It's like, you don't yeah. even think about it. And I truly believe that so many people are out there really struggling with that time management. And really look at the end of the day, time's going to move with or without you, whether you want it to or not, it's going to keep on going. 
I know having a military background myself, I always focused on the bottom line up front. And I even created my own planner called the bottom line up front planner, which really helped me focus on this is the most important thing that I must get done today in order to mm-hmm. consider the day of success action items. Cause I truly believe that if you don't plan, you will not get things done. And, and I truly believe mm-hmm. that planning has had played a major role within your career that has helped you build, grow, develop the knowledge, skills, and experience that allowed you to achieve success. So I really want to kind of dive into your career within cybersecurity. What or who inspired you to really get into cybersecurity? <laughs> that is such an interesting question, Terry. So it, and I, I want to go back to something you said, bluff. I love the bottom line up front. I noticed that a lot of people in the civilian space don't actually understand bluff, and but it's such a useful term. I actually, a couple of weeks ago, I was hanging out with some donors for a nonprofit that I'm a board member for when they're strictly civilian, they support, you know, financially our nonprofit. That's a veteran based veteran run. And they said, you know what we love about your organization? You are bottom line up front. And I never heard that. And these are guys that are in their sixties and seventies are like, we never heard that until we started working with you guys. So I think it, I think the bluff should be used across the board, even in the civilian sector, but okay. So cybersecurity, how did I get here? Who inspired me? I will be very honest that there was nobody that actually inspired me in breaking in here initially. And what I mean by that is I broke in, I broke in, I'm using air quotes for that because in 2008, I was in IT. Cyber wasn't a thing. I was working in the military and I had transferred from resource management into IT. Long story really short, I realized that I didn't really like it because I was doing a lot of help desk and SharePoint. I was miserable. I was in a vacuum. I didn't realize there was more than just SharePoint help desk. And so I got into intelligence and I got, I was part of this unique program in the military called the cultural support team program. And that fortunately led me down this intelligence path that eventually I started doing cyber threat Intel and I'm doing a really fast forward timeline here. Mm -hmm. And what was interesting throughout 2008 to when I really just honestly let go. And it was 2019 and said, okay, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try this technology thing, this cyber thing and see how it works is throughout all of those, those years, I kept getting pulled into technology, but I kept wanting to stay out of it. Cause I was told you're not smart enough. This isn't a field for you. You should do something different. So I truly believe that. So I wasn't really inspired, mm. but in 2019, I got deployed I supported Atlantic Resolve. I helped and worked with our host nation partners in NATO developing the cyber strategy. That opened up an entire world for me. And so in a way, I inspired myself because I'm like, this is a field that's actually really interesting. And there's so much more than fixing printers. And that's when I broke in in 2019. I took my first job in cyber threat intel. And I did a lot. I pivoted. I shifted. Now I'm in GRC space. And I, throughout all of those years though, I always kept, like, I always straddled technology and it, now I will say I have a significant amount of mentors and people that inspire me and push me. And I shoot, I've been in school since 2020 when I realized this is where I want to be. And I also realized not only am I intellectual enough and intelligent enough and brilliant enough, but like, I'm really good at this. I dove headfirst into all of the, all of the studies, like everything. And I've been in school since then. And thankfully I'll be graduating soon. Cause that's exhausting, but it's been a whirlwind. Yeah. Love the space. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that because, you know, it's the story, it's the journey, it's it's that process that people go throughout 
you know, that makes it different and unique for them. I always tell everybody, we all have knowledge, we all have skills, but the number one thing that really kind of separates us is our experience. And from your experience, and when you share your story, you're really able to empower other people that are struggling because there are people that are out there struggling and they need stories like this right here in order to not necessarily be motivated or inspired, but to really be empowered to be like, hey, there is an opportunity. There is a possibility. And when I hear Jax's story, like you just shared right there, I want to go get into cyber. Like I just, I want to share that and get that out there so that way we can get more people out there within the industry. And speaking of the industry, there is a definitive shortage within the industry. I, I, you see it in the news everywhere. We feel it in the offices, in the G6, in the companies, the organizations, whatever label. What exactly do you, can you attribute that shortage to? Why is there a shortage in cybersecurity? Oh my gosh, do we have a full hour to discuss this? So this is actually an area that I'm working in in my reserve, my army reserve job that I just joined the reserve. I was guard and active duty for a while and I and I joined in this unique role. I'm not a recruiter and I'm not a career counselor. I'm what we're developing is a program called the influencer program to help recruit new talent into the military with a hyper focus in cybercom. The reason for that is we have a substantial gap within talent and it's coming up within this year and next year. Not only are we losing great leaders, but we're not recruiting the younger generation. And so from my lens and my perspective, again, we don't have a ton of time to cover this, but a broad stroke is I still think that we need to really focus in on more STEM development. Not, and we're doing really good on the coasts, like East Coast, West Coast and cities. I'm from a rural, rural town, small town in Oklahoma. And I can tell you that middle part of America, that the South, the, the towns that are still very small kind of disconnected with things they're not at, they're not as developed they're not pushing stem as much and that's a large population within america and so i still think we need to really focus in on stem we need to start getting kids in interested and engaged and maybe gamified at a younger age where they're inspired to pursue this as a career field because we don't have that right now and so that gap is growing also when we do have talented um, kids that are coming out of, say, even high school or universities or have certifications, we still have that talent gap of hiring them because we, the HR isn't educated enough to know what is an entry level job, and they continue to search for. And we've talked to, we've talked about this in the industry is those unicorns. It's an entry level job with three to five years of experience. And I know that there's individuals in the industry right now really trying to combat that of like, how can we close this gap and start bringing and start creating and bringing these individuals into what we can see as entry level jobs. But until everything starts kind of working together, that gap is going to maintain and unfortunately might get wider. But I think there's a lot of organizations that are focusing in on like relationships with university, colleges, even political leaders to try to bring us together and start hopefully closing that gap. And I'm seeing it from my lens on the military side. Yeah, I, I love that. And, that, you know, and I love that you said STEM because I truly believe you know, like the classic song says, the children are our future, teach them well and let them lead the way. I truly love that. And I grew up in a small town in Oklahoma as well, too. So we, 
we stomped on some same ground here. And, wow. Oh my goodness. So if you've never been to like a small town in Oklahoma, like there's going to be 4-H welding, leatherworking, woodworking, pig judging, all these yes. types of things that we did back when I lived in Oklahoma years ago. You know, when, of course I moved away and, and been all around the world since then, but oh my goodness, growing up in Oklahoma in the Ooh. 80s, I can tell you that there was not a whole lot to really do within that area. So I love it that you talked about STEM because I truly believe like my kids, you know, they're in school and they get the STEM, they get the technology, the computers, they get all these different things. These, you know, these programs that are not that were not available to us when we were growing up. And I truly believe that the more that they get older, it just continues. It truly does. It really continues. And what I want to dive into is challenges within getting into the field or within your career as well, too. What what has been your biggest challenge and how do you how would you recommend someone to overcome the challenges with getting into the into the field? Mm. So because those are kind of two questions, because I was very fortunate that breaking into the field, I got very fortunate because I was able to break in fairly easily. I was afforded a great opportunity because of my network, the hidden job market in a way. But I know a lot of individuals, because I work with them, it is very, very challenging to break into just technology as a whole, even IT, cyber IT. Uh, the best advice that I can give anybody that's listening to this right now that is that is having those challenges that are facing them on a daily basis is first off, don't give up. I promise you, you will succeed. Uh, the second thing is you've got to network. You've got to build your community. One person can change your life. I, I used to say when we did network and we now we're doing it back in person, that one handshake is all it takes, but you may have to shake 50 hands before you get to that one handshake. Link LinkedIn is your handshake. So start meeting individuals, start putting out there, tell the world, tell the community, what do you want? I want to be a, I want to be a, a sock analyst, a tier one sock analyst. You've got to tell your community. You've got to tell the world outside of just saying that banner, um, looking, looking for opportunity, open to open for opportunities is what the banner says. You've got to do more than that. You've got to be proactive. And I know it's exhausting to continuously apply for jobs and be turned down. That's not the only route. It's networking. It's the hidden job market. It's also educating yourself along the path, um, putting content out there. And that content could be, it maybe you're not an expert in the field, but you can write a blog about it and you can put your point of view on that blog of what you think password management should look like within an organization or how you personally do password management within your home, within with your children and your family. Little things like that go immensely far in this community. But best advice, don't give up. You've got to network. It's that hidden job market. And you've got to tell, you've got to tell the universe. You've got to tell the community what position are you looking for? What do you want? I love that, you know, and, and shifting into getting into the, the field, you know, to get into the field, there's certifications, there's certain requirements. And in the military, you know, yeah. we even struggled with that in the military. I, I can't remember the number. I think it's like 8570 compliancy or something along those. I've been, been retired for a few years, so I haven't had to really think about that, but there's compliancy. And a part of that is certifications. And I believe in certifications. You know, I mean, I, I've, I, I got a college degree. I've got all these different certifications, Lean Six Sigma, Black Belt, uh, SHRM, 
uh, agile manager. I mean, I can go on down the line. I'm Kirkpatrick bronze level certified. I can go on down the line of all of the different certifications that I have. What do you feel is the biggest roadblock to people achieving certifications? Because, you know, you got people that fail and then you got people that pass with ease. What is the biggest roadblock to passing mm. those certifications? Well, first is it, it'll be not just passing, but being able to have access to be able to afford a certification is a big thing that I've heard in this space. Some of these certifications can be 500 to a thousand dollars, not including like maybe even going to a boot camp and, and getting trained up. So I think price, but there are a lot, especially for veterans, there are a lot of programs out there that will provide you a free voucher. And if anybody's listening and doesn't, they don't know about these programs, I would encourage them to reach out to e- either you or I, because there are those that those programs out there to help relieve that that barrier to entry in a way. However, the studying, so coming from somebody that's not a very good test taker, and I hate to say that because I'm very big about whatever you say and put out into the universe, it, you're going to manifest it. Well, it, it's a fact. I'm really terrible at taking tests, but I know that. So I know the hacks to help me be a good test taker. So these tests, like Security Plus, for example, Net Plus, those kind of tests that individuals might be trying to take that are listening to us, trying to break in. Best advice, go onto the internet. There are so many free resources. This test has been around for so long. There are flashcards. There are free platforms that you can go on and take practice tests over and over and over again. Also, we've got an individual on here with uh, your organization, Jeff, that can also help these individuals with taking tests because it's all about hacking the exam. It's more than just reading the book. You can't just read the book because some of these questions are situational. So you have to understand the content. That's why like CISSP, you have to have a certain level of years in that in your position before you can have a CISSP or you have a CISSP associate because a lot of those questions are situational. So the best advice I can give there, if you are like me, know how you study. Flashcards are the best for me. I'm very visual um, and I need to have that repetition of constantly taking the practice test over and over and over again. And then I need to have somebody like quiz me, somebody like Jeff, somebody like yourself. But that's that's probably the biggest thing that I've seen is individuals going in and then they beat their, themselves up. I'm usually a person. It takes me two to three times before I pass a test across the board. It's like even in the military, I had to take my ASVAB twice. And then when I took the second time, I blew it every time I blow them out of the water. I think for me, it's that first time anxiety. I go back in the second time and then I just blow it out of the water. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember when I went through Security Plus, I was like, oh my goodness, yeah. this, this stuff is crazy because you're yeah. right about those those situational ones. You really kind of have to know the framework and everything. So I remember going through the Security Plus course and the training. I was like, man, this is awesome. You know, this is everything that I did when I was active duty. I've built networks. I've ran a service desk. I've done all these different things. But when I actually went through the course, of, you know, Security Plus, and I went through and started taking the tests and everything. I, my anxiety went through the roof. I'm like, oh my God, I don't know if I'm going to pass this or not. Yeah. It's kind of one of those things. And I too have test anxiety. Believe me, I start sweating bullets when it comes to taking, t- I hate taking tests. Yeah. Same. I was sweating. Oh, it's terrible. It took me three times. It was 2009, 2009, 2010, three times to pass my sec plus, And I think two times to do my um, network. Yeah. It was terrible, but that's okay. Yeah. So I want to talk about emerging technology because there's a lot of emerging technology that that's happening out there uh, within the world today. 
What technology or service is something that you feel that a lot of people just don't know about, but you feel that they should know about it? Oh, yeah. So uh, when when I saw this question, I was thinking about NIST. I love NIST. I'm actually wearing my I love NIST shirt specifically for this interview. So National Institute of Standards and Technology is an international standard and it provides guidelines and frameworks and best practices to be to be used within organizations to help organizations with their cybersecurity maturity just to overall. And it it also provides different standards for like NASA. It's a it's a very large organization, but I'm hyper focused on like a few dozen frameworks, for example. And what I really love and I think more people should become aware of NIST is because they have a framework called the CSF cybersecurity framework. And it's an ag, it is a framework that is not compliance required and it allows organizations to be able to assess their current environment. It gives them a numeric number, a number of where they are for the maturity. So between zero to five, zero being non-existence, five being optimized. And it allows them to see, okay, we're at a one, how do we get to a four and then create a roadmap to get there? And it does it in a way that in my opinion, it's not as convoluted and confusing as some of these other frameworks. But the other great thing about NIST, huge nerd, is that you can overlap and you can layer frameworks within each other. So you can pick a framework to help you with doing semi-quantitative scoring as you're doing an assessment with an organization. And then you can layer like enterprise risk management. One of the, um, one of the, the frameworks that they have, the guidelines that they provide, they, you can look at it and go, okay, we usually do assessments at a, a level three, a technology level, computers looking at the machines, well, you can do enterprise risk management. You can layer that on to a regular assessment and start looking at level one, the enterprise, the C-suite level to two, level two, the mission level. And you can look at it as a holistic approach. So I love it. I think it's an amazing resource. It's F-R-E-E, free, which is my favorite word. And I think that NIST is going to be doing a lot within the technology space. We already see them spearheading a lot of the post-quantum encryption capabilities. Like they're, it's a, it's a, it's an amazing resource. <laughs> I, I, used, I used to drive by NIST every day. <laughs> oh my gosh. I want to get a tour of NIST. Yeah. I need to make that happen. Yeah. You know, being in the national capital region, everything, there's a lot of really cool things we get to drive. I'm not sure if, if NIST was one of the coolest things I ever drove by, <laughs> but I, I remember I was like, man, I used to drive by this every single day. <laughs> yeah. I love that. I haven't been able to, where is it located? I should know this big fan. Maryland. Yeah. I need to go just start driving by stalking them. Yeah. It was, I know somebody that'll give me a tour. I just need you to make it happen. I'm like that that little kid. And I know it's probably just a whole bunch of office buildings, but I don't know. I'm like this little kid that think it's going to be like this. You're going to walk in and be like, Oh, like all the energy from all the intellectual people at work there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a lot of opportunities in this area. Like we, we got to uh tour the Watson building mm. where Watson's, I mean, there was, you, I mean, pretty much if you reach out to a lot of these places, you know, for educational purposes, a tour is too easy to get set up in, in some of these places in this area. Yeah, we are very lucky where we live. It's much better than Oklahoma. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to know, you know, you've, you've already accomplished quite a few things within your career. I got to know what is next? Like, what's the biggest thing you're working on now or what is next within your career? 
Oh, I'm pretty excited about this. So I, as I mentioned earlier, I'm, I work for a, or a volunteer for a nonprofit. The name is the Special Operations Association of America. And I'm a board member, one of the founding members that Daniel Elkins is the founder of the organization. And he brought me on right after it was founded for kind of having that woman woman view of being a female operator. And it's been a couple of years since the organization has been founded. And we're really focused on bringing advocacy for special operators at the congressional level, because there's a lot of nonprofits within the space that provide a lot of resources, but they don't work at the congressional space where change really takes place. And my personal experience, just coming back from combat and seeking Healthcare, like getting my disability and seeking treatment has been terrible is the easiest way of putting it. Still today, I'm struggling on trying to get my traumatic brain injury seen as a combat injury, which it was. And so through all of this, I've been working through so on different agendas, different initiatives, and I'm happy to announce that we have been able to spearhead a legislation that's going to be coming through and being announced here very soon that will allow the CSTs, the program that I was a part of, there's about 310 women that were part of this program. They will now receive a combat identifier once the legislation is passed that will allow them to be able to go into the VA and instead of being marginalized and discounted for our injuries, which is typical of what happens when you walk in, we now have this identifier that will, in a way, give us a predisposing conditions for having certain injuries because they know that we went through a special operations program. We deployed, we were likely in combat, and these are the injuries that probably that we have. So that's big. That's what's happening at the same time. I'm writing a new book to complement that legislation in a way, and it's going to be sharing the story of going to war, what that looks like from a female operator's lens. And then the second part is going to be the untold story, which is coming home and having the war on the home front of as a woman operator trying to receive access to healthcare and the treatment and how we are marginalized and discounted and how there's a major issue within the VA and just medical across the board. So those are big. Those are the big things that I'm working on as well as graduating from my, with my master's, but I'm excited. It's going to be a good year. It's already been a, it's already been off to an amazing start. No complaints. Awesome. Definitely wishing you all the best and continued success with that. I I'm hundred percent disabled veteran myself. Uh, so being a part of, you know, some programs, it, you know, it's beneficial. It truly is that I, and I see across the board that over the years, you know, healthcare is getting better, certain things are getting better. But as, as you mentioned, there's still some things that need a little bit of work. And, and I know that there's going to be a lot of people grateful for the hard work that you're doing in, in building these programs, helping even being a voice. You know, I always tell everybody, I was like, look, stand up and so you can stand out, speak up so you can speak out that way you can give others, other people a voice who would otherwise be voiceless. Mm -hmm. And, and I am definitely wishing you all the best and continued success within that right there. So let me ask you this. If there's one question that you could really kind of ask anyone that's out there listening to this uh, episode right here in the replay, um, what, what question would you want to ask anybody? Oh gosh. Okay. I'm trying to remember my question because it was a really good one. So I would ask, because I'm always curious about our future state, kind of where are we going to be in the next three to five years? And this was a this was a similar question, not exactly a question posed by one of my professors. And 
he had asked something about what we're going to be like kind of the greatest impact the next three to five years within national security. And I told him that's a really hard question to answer because there's technology that hasn't even been developed yet Mm -hmm. that I truly believe it's going to completely change how we operate today. And so my question is if there were, and I'm going to provide three different options, but out of these three, naming them maybe from the, the most important to the least, which out of these three would have the greatest impact on our national security. And I would say the first one, first option would be quantum computing. And that's um, negating NIST and post-quantum encryption. Cause we don't even know if that actually works yet, if that's a plausibility, but put Uh, I would say quantum encryption and public key or quantum computers and public key encryption, like knowing that quantum computers can possibly crack that. What's will that have a great impact in the next three to five years? The next one is we talked about this, the workforce or the the lack of workforce, the gap. Will that be the greatest impact on us? And then the last one, and I can't remember what I had, but I will throw instead because I can't remember. I'm going to throw this one in there instead because I was writing about this last night the lack of a public and private partnerships or the definement of what those public and private partnerships and why that's so critical is because the public sector or the private sector own a lot of our critical infrastructure, yet the public sector support that in a way. But there's a lot of uh, gray area within titles of how we can best support those critical infrastructures. And until those are defined, if there was a, say, a catastrophic attack on one of those infrastructures, what would that look like? So there you go. I hope I didn't I muddy love, that question. <laughs> I love that, Jax. Thank you so much for, for your time here today. You know, there's definitely a, a wide variety of opportunity and potential to get into cybersecurity. I, I, you know, even though that out there within the news, we see that there's a gap and, and so on and so forth. I think it really comes down to sharing the message, sharing the voice, empowering people, encouraging people like, hey, you know, if it's possible for me, if it's possible for you, it's possible for somebody else. But we really just like, you know, as you said earlier, we just have to get that message out there, share our story, share the voice, share our thoughts, you know, whether it be on a blog post, a podcast, whatever the case may be. And we can really inspire the next generation of people that can get into the field of cybersecurity. So I want to know here before we close things down here, what are your final thoughts about anyone really just being on the fence? Like there are lots of people that are out there. I don't know. I want to switch careers. I'm happy where I'm at. I don't, you know, it's a struggle to really kind of go from one thing to another. And I did that. I remember transitioning careers. I went from one field to a completely different one myself. So I know what it's like, but if there's people that are on the fence that are out there, what would be your advice to get them to switch careers and come into the field of cybersecurity? Yeah, and this might be this might not be a, like a welcome to answer. It might frustrate people, but the best advice I can give you because this is what I tell myself and I never give advice I don't do myself, but it's like you got to jump, you just got to do it. You got to rip the bandaid off. I have a person in mind right now that I know is kind of like oh, I kind of want to try this, but I don't know if I want to be more technical. And this individual has been doing this for almost a year and a half now of, I don't know, maybe, but what if I get in there and I don't like it? And what if I leave my job and I pivot into this career field and I don't like it or I'm not good at it? Well, you know what, Terry, you're not going to know unless you just jump in. And I promise you from the experience, regardless 
if you fall on your face. Regardless, you're going to fail forward, which means you are going to progress in your career and say you don't like it. Well, you're going to learn one more thing you don't like, which is going to get you closer to one more thing you do like. But this field is so vast. There are so many opportunities. I say you've got to jump in. Culture is really important. Find a place that has good culture, jump in and just start swimming. Figure it out because we have a great community. People are going to help you out. If you ask for help, people are going to pick you up and you're going to just figure it out. So I hope that encourages people to just make that jump. If anybody is like, I don't know, it's kind of scary. It's scary. I totally get it, but you got to jump, got to make it happen. Awesome. Jax, thank you so much for your time today. Had a pleasure talking with you. Thanks, Terry. My pleasure. So happy to be here. This was awesome.